1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Women's History. I'm your host for today's episode, Corey Simon, a member of the faculty at the University of Oklahoma. Joining me today are Professor Patti Laughlin from the University of Central Oklahoma and Professor Sarah Epler-Janda from Cameron University. They edited a brand new anthology of scholarly essays entitled, This Land is Her Land. Gendered Activism in Oklahoma from the 1870s to the 20-teens, published by the University of Oklahoma Press in 2021. Organized chronologically, the collection brings together the stories of 13 women activists and their efforts to improve their tribal, state, and national communities. Together, these rich biographies of individual Native, African American, and white women and their activism demonstrate the ongoing contest for belonging in Oklahoma and competing claims for its future, as well as Oklahoma's place within larger histories of reform movements. Thank you both so much for joining me today.
2: Thank you so much for having us, Corey. I
0: really appreciated how each chapter in, in this book begins with a biographical sketch showing how these women's life experiences shaped their future activism. But before we dive into the book, I wonder if you both could give us some similar insight into your own backgrounds. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you were born, went to school, your influential mentors, and how you became interested in Oklahoma and gender history. So Patty, much- let's start with you. Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much, Corey.
2: And um, we're so excited to be part of New Books and Women's History with New Books Network and um, thrilled, thrilled to participate. So thank you again. I, I was um, raised in Mount Vernon, Washington, which is about an hour north of Seattle, close to the Canadian border and um, spent quite some time in the San Juan Islands and thinking about borders and thinking about the Pacific Northwest. And uh, when I had the opportunity to study with David Baird at um, Pepperdine University for undergrad and master's in history, he really inspired me to think about the American West and Native American history in new ways and told me, and correctly so, that coming to Oklahoma would be a good place to study. Uh, And in fact, I make my home here since 1995. And so I studied at Oklahoma State University, um, became very much part of the intellectual community here with Oklahoma Humanities and serving as a board member of the Oklahoma Historical Society. And uh, mentors for me um, very much include David Baird, Uh, and mentors that I've met through the Western History Association and uh, the Coalition for Western Women's History, including Joan Jensen, um, Betsy Jamison,
0: and Linda Reese. Thank you. Sarah, could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure.
1: So I was... Born and raised in Oklahoma um, and went to the University of Oklahoma, where I was majoring in English as an undergraduate until I had the fortune of being in one of Rob Griswold's U.S. History Survey courses. And at the moment when I was studying old English and in one of my English courses, he was talking about Margaret Singer and the Birth Control Crusade. And that very quickly convinced me that I was in the wrong major. And so I, I switched to history So he had a pretty profound impact on shaping my desire to study not just history, but women's history in particular. Um, Ben Keppel was also an important mentor to me. He is the one who really pointed me towards studying LaDonna Harris, which um, ultimately was one of the subjects of my doctoral dissertation. Linda Reese was also incredibly influential. And um, as you probably see in the book, she is the person that Patty and I wanted to dedicate the book to, not just because of her role as a mentor for young female scholars, but also because um, of the work that she herself has done in Oklahoma women's history.
0: Thank you. Now that we know more about how you both came to history and to this topic, could you tell us how this project book project came about? What brought the two of you into collaboration, and how did you put together this impressive list of authors?
2: Sure. So
1: Patty and I have known each other for a few decades now, um, and we've talked about collaborating on something in the past, but really we started looking at this new series that was being published by the University of Oklahoma Press. And we're interested in trying to put together a collection of female scholars writing about female activists in Oklahoma. And so we began kind of compiling a list of either women that we wanted to have a chapter on or women scholars that we really wanted to work with. And out of that, the project kind of grew. There were some um, ideas we initially had and we would contact someone and they would say, oh, well, actually, I'm, I'm working on this other woman. Could I write about her instead? And so the contributors played a significant role in
2: selecting the topics as well. And I would I would. Uh, agree with Sarah and just add to that, that as the, as the uh, project was coming together, we really thank our acquisitions editor, Kathleen Kelly, uh, for her uh, initial inspiration. And as we were moving through the work together, we had uh, two workshops, one at the Gilcrease Museum in Tulsa and the second workshop at the Oklahoma Historical Society in Oklahoma City, bringing together um, contributors to kind of workshop chapters, discuss work, challenge one another, and build community. Adding to that, um, as the project was moving forward, it was OK Women 100, um, the centennial of women's suffrage, and um, the Oklahoma Historical Society was very kind to launch a virtual programming series of this land is her land. And so in three, um, uh, virtual programs during 2020, uh, we were able to reach widely, uh, to audience members throughout, um, the country to talk about the project. And we really want to thank Kathy Dixon and Elizabeth Bass and Jake Crumwitty at the Oklahoma Historical Society for making that possible to bring contributors together to talk about our work.
0: This collection is really an amazing um collaboration among among scholars and includes a diverse array of women's experiences and spans a really long chronology beginning in the 1870s and extending into the 20 teens. Part one, the fluidity of power examines women's activism in the critical years surrounding statehood. Part two, the gendered politics of civil rights looks at the role of gender in Oklahoma civil rights movement from the 1920s to the 60s. And lastly, Part 3, Contested Notions of Equality, explores the interplay of gender with other diverse political issues at both state, regional, and national levels. Uh, could you walk us through each of these sections and highlight a few of the stories and their authors that appear in them? Sure, we would be happy to. So in the first part of the book and the
1: idea of the fluidity of power kind of came to us as we looked at this range of experiences and opportunities women created for themselves, even against the backdrop of intense oppression and exploitation. And so in this section of the book, we see examples where Native women are able to use resources to become part of um, reform movements to use education to further the interest of their uh, tribal nations. And we see women who come into Oklahoma at- finding opportunities to acquire land, open orphanages, become politically active in perhaps less obvious ways than I think you see in other parts of the country. Kate Barnard's political career is unique in many respects because she sidestepped the issue of suffrage to simply promote uh, the work that she thought was most significant in improving the lives of Oklahomans. Alice Robertson is no one's ideal of a a feminist champion, certainly, but she used the opportunity of being an anti-suffragist, a vocal anti-suffragist, as a springboard for her own role in politics, becoming the second woman to be elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. So there's very much this kind of idea of Fluidity to the activism and the work of women in this section. And Patty, would you like to add to that?
2: Just to add, again, uh, so thrilled to have the participation of these uh, amazing scholars. And so Rowan Steinecker is writing about Lila Lindsay in the 1870s, Muskogee Creek educator. And Heather Klemmer is talking about a founding um, mother. Uh, Maddie Mallory in Bethany um, in Oklahoma Territory. And Amy Scott is talking about Alice Robertson, uh, which connects really nicely to my work um, with Mary Fallon at the uh, close to the end of the book. As well, Sunu Kodamthara takes on um, Kate Barnard in new ways. And Farina King in her uh, lovely essay on Rachel Caroline Eaton, looking at uh, the first woman, PhD in history, first Cherokee a woman, PhD in history, and her work um, at Cherokee National Seminary and beyond. So just really a wonderful, um, a wonderful uh, discussion and uh, emergence of scholarship in part one, Fluidity of Power. <laughs>
0: So part two, the gender and politics of civil rights, I'd love to hear more about uh, that part and how those um, a few, highlighting a few of those stories as well. Sure. So
1: in part two, you really begin to see the breakdown of this fluidity of power moment and you see a much more entrenched segregation um, and, and loss of power for many women that are examined. And so here, instead of an expansion of power, you see women responding, trying to carve out power. And in the first three chapters, really challenging notions of segregation. Melissa Stuckey's chapter on California M. Taylor is really interesting because she kind of spans really both of these time periods. And you see her having a range of opportunities in Boley, one of the all Black towns that was established prior to statehood. So she has these great experiences and and really kind of creates a sense of um, Black womanhood that is quite powerful. But by the end of her life, she's frustrated with the uh, political apathy that she sees and the lack of participation in the NAACP chapter in Boley, for example, we see with both Clara Looper um, and with Ada Lois Sipio Fisher, profound challenges to segregation, but they are very much influenced by their their role as women. Uh, Fisher, in part, because she's desirable as a candidate for challenging segregation because she's married, uh, so she's less of a sexual threat to challenging segregation. Her husband, was a, <coughs> excuse me, was a veteran. With Clara Luper, the fact that she was a mother and an educator, that is used as a way to try and um, legitimize her role in challenging anti Blackness that was so pervasive in. American society and certainly in Oklahoma. And the last chapter on Rosie Gilcrease is is really a different kind of look because she's a one white woman included in the in the this particular section that I wrote about. And here's a woman who is confined to a mental institution for five years because of her support for equality of African Americans that is repeatedly used in her medical records to show that she must be confined to stop this kind of radical behavior. Patty, would you like to add to that?
2: Yes, thank you. This is a really moving section of the book, and uh, Sarah's chapter um, is uh, deeply troubling when we share it with broader audiences, and. Um, meaningful and sparks lots of concert, lots of questions. And just to add to that, talking about scholars in part two, we just wanted to make sure we mentioned that Cheryl Watley is profiling Ada Lois-Sibwell Fisher in this section and Rachel Watson uh, is profiling uh,
0: Clara Looper. Lastly, part three, contested notions of equality. Uh, explores the interplay of gender with other diverse political issues. Could you walk us through that a little bit more and highlight some of those stories? Sure. So part of what
1: you see in the last section of the book are all of these contested ideas about what equality for women is, what it should look like, um, the space that women appropriately occupy. And so in this last section, um, we see an analysis of the effort to restore tribal sovereignty led by indigenous women. Um, Amanda Cobb, Greetham Cobb has a great chapter on LaDonna Harris in there as one example. We also see contested notions of the place of LGBTQ women in Oklahoma City with the chapter on Barbara Walru Cleveland. It's quite fascinating to think about this effort to really carve out an equal space for women who were often on the margins of society and often in in physical danger in many spaces in Oklahoma City. Um, Chelsea Ball's chapter on the Equal Rights Amendment in Oklahoma is quite amazing because in, in this particular instance, she's looking at, I think, a very Oklahoma way of approaching the Equal Rights Amendment. So you get a look at a woman who was a wife of a Baptist minister, she's a devout Baptist woman her whole life, and still is today, um, and how she connected the idea of equal rights for women with the concept of her own religious faith is, is quite interesting and very much fits into some of the complexities of Oklahoma. Um, and then looking at Mary Fallon, I mean, that's been an interesting part of the book, in part because of the connections, her use of maternalist politics to the use of maternalist politics in, in previous generations, but also because many look at Mary Fallon and, and don't necessarily consider her an activist. But, but Patty's work, and I'll let her talk about that in a second, Patty's work really kind of takes on this idea of looking at conservative maternalist politics as a political tool, one that that, that Mary Fallon successfully used to her advantage. So Patty, you want to talk a little about that?
2: Yeah, and I go back to thinking about Alice Mary Robertson in the first section of the book and bring it closer uh, to, uh, to modern Oklahoma, looking at Mary Fallon. So we know that uh, Mary Robertson was the first woman from Oklahoma elected to the U.S. Congress in 1920, and the second woman elected to Congress from Oklahoma would be Mary Fallon, 86 years later. So, we're looking several generations later when we look at Mary Fallon. And um, it's also important to remember that Mary Fallon grew up in Tecumseh. She grew up in a Democratic family. Her parents both served as mayor of Tecumseh. And um, she. Uh, would study for two years at Oklahoma Baptist University and then transfer to Oklahoma State University and graduate still a Democrat. It was only when she uh, moved to Oklahoma City and started to kind of explore and think of the world in new ways that she um, became more politically active and As she was examining the political platforms, she decided that she was more aligned with the Republican party. The other strand that's really interesting to look at when we study Mary Fallon is that she never lost an election. She was very strategic in her planning and she served um, in the state legislature. She served as lieutenant governor. She served in Congress. And she served as governor, strategic in position in positioning herself, and never lost an election. And yet, there are other interesting layers going on here too, because she's going to be challenged by being um, having young a young child, and then she gets pregnant again. And there are political um, operatives who would encourage her to step out of the race. But if anything, she starts to really use that language of motherhood to her advantage and talk about her toughness. And so for all of those reasons, we wanted to include her so that uh, we could all learn more about conservative activism and politics in Oklahoma as well.
0: When I started this book, I couldn't put it down. It's, it's, it's really thrilling to read these stories of these women and who come from so many different backgrounds. It's really essential reading for someone like me, who both studies Indian Territory and Oklahoma history and who lives and teaches in Oklahoma. But these women, women's stories resonate beyond Oklahoma, too, and the, each chapter is written very accessibly. I wonder what audiences do you imagine for this book and what you hope your readers will take away from it?
1: Sure. So we hope to write for a general audience and specifically people that are interested in women's political activism and in the history of the West and the history of um, Oklahoma in particular. We think that there's a lot you can take from the experiences of these women. They're quite varied. The information that is available on the women is also varied in terms of archival sources. We had interesting discussions about you know if you for example there's a picture of California M Taylor in the book and we have every reason to believe that that is likely her um, but as Melissa Stuckey looked at it we didn't know for sure but we we kind of came to a place of concluding it's important to show what she likely looked like even if we can't say with absolutely absolute certainty that was her so we really tried to create something that was accessible to general audiences But as Patty can tell you, we also wrote this with an eye to it being adopted for use in a range of different college classrooms.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Working with our own uh, students at the college level in a variety of courses, including Western women's history, Native American history, um, U.S. history, Oklahoma history, they have inspired us to think broadly and to think in new directions. Uh, We've had uh, opportunities to speak um, in virtual settings and face-to-face settings, and everyone wants to know more. So we hope it it just really opens up discussions as we look at a variety of different issues um, at the... Local level, the state level, and, and the national level, but it was very important that important um, to the project to center women's stories and to have women scholars um, throughout the text. And so, we're very excited about the the uh, women that are profiled and the scholars, the women scholars who have um, come together for the project.
0: And this is the first book to be published in the Women in the American West series at the University of Oklahoma Press. Can you tell me more about this series and how you became a part of it? And also how this book fits into larger historiographical conversation in conversations in Western history about women, gender and sexuality?
1: Sure. So um, we first learned about this new series at a coalition of Western women's historians at the WHA. Um, Renee Lagrade, who's a series editor, announced that she was moving the series to the University of Oklahoma Press. And we met with the acquisitions editor at the time, Kathleen Kelly, and, and bounced ideas off of her. And she was very encouraging of the project in, in its early stages. And so that's how we kind of got involved involved with it and there's a, an ongoing debate, really, over the use of, of biography and where it, it should be situated within th- this larger study of history. And so I know that one of the things I learned in graduate school was that biography is often bad because you either too closely identify with the subject and you like them too much or you despise them. And so your portrayal of them is, uh, is slanted in the other direction. What what we've seen, though, in the, in the study of women's history is an under understanding of the need to peel back these kinds of layers to better understand the experiences of women. Um, I was at a panel, it's been probably five years ago at the WHA, and there was a discussion of kind of imagining the space of, of African American women in the West and showing images of where we knew that they were even though we didn't know their full stories and I thought that was very powerful because it it reinforced the need to delve deeper into tr- teasing out what we can about the experiences of individual women um, and so that's certainly part of what what we tried to do in the in the book Patty would you like to add to that?
2: I'm just thinking um, one of one of my hopes for the book is that it's going to provide college students and scholars and the broader public with more examples of the uh, activism and women uh, of Oklahoma. And many of them um, are connected to the national stage. And so in some of our recent conversations with contributors. I'm thinking of this notion of her land and we talk about the title and we talk about our land acknowledgement, but learning from Melissa Stuckey, for example, that uh, in the formation of Boley, Oklahoma, an all black town, um, she said this was literally her land because one of the women she studied who came to Boley donated her land to become uh, Boley. And so an example, an early example of women donating land to form community, in this case, Boley. I also think about uh, Heather Clemmer's work, Maddie Mallory and her work with orphans and her uh, ties to land and acquiring land in Bethany to really be one of those early uh, developers of Bethany. And then I think about Lindsay Churchill's work with Barbara Waru Cleveland and uh, this independent bookstore uh, for women, for LGBTQ women called Herland Sister Resources. And so throughout the book, I think about the pivotal moments of women shaping history of building community and making connections to broader um, national Uh, movement. And now we know their names. If we didn't before, we, we surely know their names now
0: so as you've already said there are many broader uh, applications of of these stories beyond oklahoma but it does this book does focus on oklahoma and you know that there are many things about oklahoma history that are unique but each chapter does also emphasize the connections between oklahoma and these larger regional and national stories i wonder what this collection contributes to our understanding of Oklahoma history, how it shifts it, and how it also positions Oklahoma within these broader histories.
1: Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think that part of what, We try and do with the book is situate these women's experiences within the kind of intersection of Western and Southern influences. And so I've always been struck in studying Oklahoma history that if you're writing about Native American history, it's often viewed as kind of more of a Western topic. If you're writing about African American history, even in the same time period in Oklahoma, it's viewed as more Southern. And so it's it, it's sort of interesting to see history being parceled out in that way. And what we try and look at is the way in which both Southern and Western influences shaped the experiences, the opportunities, the degrees of oppression that existed in Oklahoma. One of the things we really wanted to do with the book is take us beyond statehood so much of oklahoma history doesn't doesn't cover the period after statehood in a really systematic way and so that's one of the things that we wanted to show that when you look at some of these women in the late 19th century that tie of activism and that desire to reform and improve community doesn't end and that's where these connections can be seen where you can go from looking at the work of caroline eaton who considered her Herself, Rachel Caroline Eaton, who always considered herself a loyal countrywoman, coming out of the Cherokee Seminary, and you can connect that to the sovereignty and the use of cultural understanding and connectivity in the work of Ladonna Harris, who's arguably one of the most significant national figures in promoting Indigenous sovereignty. And so, we really wanted to situate Oklahoma in in that broader context. Patty.
2: I agree. I absolutely agree. I don't think I would add I would add anything to
0: that. I think it was excellent, Sarah. Getting back to the collection, I again, I'm so impressed with the the chronological um expanse of the book and also the just the d- the diverse number of experiences that um that are included within it. I wonder um I wonder what these stories all told together can help us think about the role of women's activism in Oklahoma today.
1: Oh, I was just going to say that I think that a lot of it is allowing people to understand the long history of activism. And that, that really the way that we approach the concept of activism in the book is women who Look around them in the communities in which they find themselves and decide that they want to make improvements to it. And so that's one of the things that really kind of connects these women together the tenacity that they, uh, many of them, demonstrated, but also the precarious place of women and there's a lot to be said about the precarious place of women that we learn about in these chapters that relate very much to the place of women today when we look at some of the challenges to reproductive health access going on in Oklahoma and Texas is just one example, you can think about the challenge of Barbara Walru Cleveland trying to create a safe space for lesbian women in Oklahoma City. You can think about particularly if you're in Norman and you drive by Central State Griffith Memorial Hospital and you think about this poor woman who is confined there for five years in the 1960s for trying to sell her home to a Black man and support civil rights. That speaks to the fact that The place of women is still contested in American society, and that activism is a a core component to challenging discriminatory practices against women. We haven't somehow arrived in um, her land as it's envisioned in the original novel, A Feminist Utopia, where women have all of these rights. If anything, we've seen a growing need to study, understand, and appreciate the place of women's activism, given the precarious place of women's rights that exists today.
2: Absolutely, Sarah. And I would just add that um, our hope in this project, is that the reader will come away with a deeper understanding of all of the various ways that women throughout Oklahoma's story, from the 1870s to today, have contributed in meaningful and lasting ways, um, through the development of communities, through uh, civil rights activism, through politics. Um, through uh, Indigenous sovereignty. So all of these different things come together and um, high school students, college students, scholars, the public will, will have these specific examples to, to share with others.
0: Well, Patty and Sarah, we've taken up a lot of your time and we really appreciate you joining us. Before you go, I'd love to know what each of you are working on now for your next projects.
1: So we've got kind of our individual separate projects that we're still working on. I'm working on um, kind of gendered notions of cowardice among socialist tenement, tenant farmers in Oklahoma during World War One. But Patty and I collectively have taken on um, the at times daunting but exciting task of trying to write a high school Oklahoma history textbook. We think that it's long overdue to have a, an accessible textbook that. That is diverse in nature. That is um, a book that doesn't refer to everything as just kind of, you know, the maturing economy or maturing society after statehood that really spends a lot more time on the 20th century. And so we are very excited about this project. Um, Patty, would you like to add and talk about your other work too?
2: Sure. I would say we're thrilled about this project, Uh, although we've been influenced by David Baird and others. um, We're excited to think about Oklahoma history in new ways to engage young people, to engage high school students. And so if we're thinking about um, a textbook, modern Oklahoma will be at the center. So we will talk about early Oklahoma We will talk about the development of Oklahoma, but our focus will be modern Oklahoma and these interesting, compelling stories with race and gender as very central to the story of Oklahoma. And I think that will be uh, an exciting challenge for us to undertake. And so that should be out in uh, 2025, 26.
0: Well, that's very exciting. I I can't wait to see that. Uh, Sarah and Patty, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your book with us today. The book, again, is This Land is Her Land, Gendered Activism in Oklahoma from the 1870s to the 20-teens, edited by Sarah Epler, Janda, and Patty Laughlin, my guests today. It's the first book to be published in the Women in America West series at the University of Oklahoma Press. Again, I'm Corey Simon, and this has been New Books in Women's History.